All right, you guys ready? <laughs> so we are Song of Solomon, chapter six and seven, a little bit of eight tonight. Um, probably two more weeks after this before we'll wrap up our journey. Just so we can remember what we're studying, it's a lyric poem about love. It is intended, a a lyric poem is not intended to have a complicated uh, message. It's simple. The simple message is a celebration of, of love and marriage as God intended it. It was or is a song made up of many songs. That's why one of the titles for it is the Song of Songs given to Solomon. Sometimes we shorten that and just call it the Song of Solomon. Um, So it was a a song either uh, that Solomon had some part in composing or that someone else composed and gave it to him. Uh, celebrating marriage, celebrating uh, love between husband and wife. So uh, one, of the, one of the important things about it, one of the things that we've talked about, and one of the struggles that we have as Christians, because historically in the Middle Ages we got really weird about sex. And as a result, those hang-ups are still with us today. And those hang-ups that are with us uh, make it difficult for us to talk about it. So the, the idea, when we look at Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what was it that the children of Israel were supposed to do with their children? Teach them the things that God had showed them. When you stand up, when you sit down, when you walk in the way, wherever you go, teach your kids about these things. And instead, we... we uh, we developed some weirdness, you know. I think sometimes in life we have pendulum swings. You guys know what I mean? Like um, somebody goes too far one way, and then our reaction is to have the pendulum swing too far in the opposite direction. We seldom keep it in the middle. You know what I mean? So our reaction goes too far one way or the other. And as a result, in the church, we have not done a good job of teaching uh our adults or our kids about God's plan for sex in marriage and how that should all come together and work in uh, in God's as part of God's will. It's not it's not supposed to be weird. It's supposed to be something that was honored and celebrated. And that's what the Song of Songs does. It celebrates it. So when we read it today, it's weird to us. We look at it and we read it and we go, what did they just say? That's in the Bible? How is that possible? And that just, to me, for at least personally, that shows me where I've got some hang-ups on things where, where God's Word has the freedom to just talk about it. To, to understand that it is a gift, something that was given by God to Adam and Eve in the beginning. And so there's a celebration in it. Now, as we've gone through the song, one of the things I've tried to encourage you is, in in your Bibles, they're going to have divisions. It's going to say the Shulamite woman, the daughters of Jerusalem, uh, maybe Solomon is the male part. 
Uh, the point is, the song is divided into three singing parts. A man, a woman, and a choir. Okay? So the man sometimes is referred to as Solomon, sometimes referred to as the king. I always just refer to him as the man. It doesn't matter who he is. Uh, the woman, I don't try to figure out who she is. She's the woman, the bride. Okay, everybody tracking with me? So you got a man, a woman, and then the choir. Uh, and it's responsive singing. So when this is presented to Solomon, they don't do it like we're doing it, where we go verse by verse and try to dissect things and understand what's happening. They sang it. It was a celebration. And it was something that they sang yearly as a part of their feast days. Uh, they would read Song of Solomon, or the Song of Solomon would be performed as a part of the celebration. So I'm going to give you the parts. <coughs> I'm using a very technical uh, commentary to, to uh, at least what I consider to be the best one on the market. And so that's why it may be a little different than your Bible. It's not actually in the text. Uh, it's just a translator saying, I think this is where their singing parts are. So let me give them to you. We're starting in verse 4, chapter 6. This is a man's part. It says, you are beautiful as Terzim, I love. Lovely as Jerusalem. Awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing all of them bear twins, not one of them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. There are sixty queens, eighty concubines, and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young woman who saw her and called her blessed. The queens and the concubines also, and they praised her. Then the choir in verse 10. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And then the woman begins in verse 11. I went down to the nut orchard to look on the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsmen, a prince. The choir responds, Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. Then the man, Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bull that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of weight encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck like an ivory tower, and your eyes like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. And your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O oh, loved one with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. So I say, I will climb the palm tree, lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. And then the woman responds, It goes down smoothly for my beloved. The man responds, gliding over lips and teeth, and then his bride. 
I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance beside our doors are all choice fruit. New as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would have despised me. I would lead you, bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of the pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me, and I adore you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases pray. Father God, we come to you this evening, Lord, as we study your word. God, we pray that you would open up our eyes to see. Help us, help us hear in this poetry the way you celebrate the union between a man and a woman, the way, God, that you celebrate marriage, the way that you celebrate the relationship, the love that is shared in this relationship. And God, that we would have come to understand, maybe even just a little better, uh, the gift that you've given us. Lord, we ask your blessing as we come to you now, Lord. We pray that you would bless this time with your presence, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so he begins tonight, the man begins in the song, to describe again the bride as flawless. Now, you'll remember last time, They consummated their relationship. So there's a transformation that takes place in the woman's part that moves her from virgin to wife. So as she's growing and as she's moving in this direction, one of the things that the man does is he continues to use the same uh, verbiage that he used to describe her when she was the virgin bride on their wedding night. One of the things... That, that he is telling her poetically is that you're still just as beautiful to me as you were on our wedding night, on, the, on our first night that we spent together. So you'll recognize some of the phrases, some of the words we've heard earlier in the poem. <clears throat> he says, you are beautiful as Terza, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. So he begins describing her as beautiful as these cities. Um, and as beautiful as these cities with the uh, banners of the, like if, if you saw, well, like, like we'll see around Buell on 4th of July. 4th of July, you have all this national pride that comes out and, and posters that go up and a lot of, and we're going to have a parade and people are going to get together, right? And, and there are a lot of people who look at that time and say, man, what, what an awesome, beautiful time celebrating together in in the city of Buell. Well, the same way for them, although that wouldn't be on the 4th of July, but when what he's describing is a celebration in Tirzah and a celebration in Jerusalem with banners and posters all around the city. And he starts by describing his wife as beautiful as those cities, as as amazing, as awe-inspiring as these cities are at that time. And then in verse 10, you have the brackets 
around this poem as the choir uses the same language but compares her rather to, than to comparing her to cities to heavenly bodies like the moon and the stars and the sun. So you have these two brackets and in the middle is the husband just letting her know that he continues to see her as beautiful. There's a, a really important concept throughout God's Word, both here in the Song of Songs and in Ephesians chapter 5, which declares that part of a man's role in relationship with his wife is to present her perfect, the flawless bride. That's what is happening here. He's describing her flawless. He's going to describe her as perfect. Why? Why is that important? Because that's the role. That's the role of the husband. Because the husband is fulfilling the role of Christ. When Christ brings the church to God, we've talked about this before, how does he do it? Well, Lord, I don't know how Jackie got here. He's a mess. Barely made it. He's dirty, nasty, stinky. Is that how the Bible says Jesus presents us to the Father? The Bible says He presents us to the Father without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Why? Because we're in Christ and Christ is perfect. I'm not, but Christ is, right? So the gift that Jesus Christ gives us is the gift of covering our imperfections and presenting us perfect. In a relationship between a husband and a wife, that same uh, a role is considered by, uh, by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. That this is how a man should present his wife, the same way that Christ presents the church. And we see him doing it here. He, he uses the same terms we saw before. Her hair, like a, like a flock of goats, like goats leaping over a mountain. So she, her wavy hair flowing down, her, <clears throat> her teeth, right? We've talked about that before, that she has them all. They didn't have dentists back then. So the, the chance that you had them all was slim. But he's, the reason he's using these same exact terms is to say, I, I see you the same. In the song, it doesn't have to be the next day. In the song of songs, you are celebrating marriage from the exciting days of looking forward to your wedding, the, the days of your wedding night and consummating your marriage, and the rest of your life together. The whole thing is a celebration. The whole thing is being celebrated. And so here, he's celebrating. Listen to what he says. Now, People get hung up on what does it mean? 60 queens, 80 concubines, and virgins without number. This is hyperbole. It's not trying to be a reference to Solomon. If it was, the numbers aren't right. Yeah, Solomon's, the numbers would have been much greater. What is the, what is the author saying? What does the poet want us to see? It's got to be simple. What is it? No matter who you compare my bride to, 60 queens, 80 concubines, or all the virgins in the world. She is incomparable. She sticks out above them all. This is what the, this is what the author, this is what the, the male part is singing. He wants her to know she's incomparable. Regardless of class, over the queens, 
And some of our struggle is understanding concubine. Let's understand it. A queen was had authority and power. A concubine was a lesser wife. Okay? A concubine is a... You were still married. Abraham had a concubine. He was married to Sarah. Sarah was his wife. And then Sarah said, take Hagar. Hagar becomes a concubine. The Bible says he married her. He lay with her and she gave him Ishmael as son. But a concubine doesn't have the same rights as the queen, as the first wife, as the early wife. So he's saying whether I, I compare you to queens, concubines, or the rest of the, of the girls who aren't married yet. You're it. You're the one I want. You're the only one I want. You're one of a kind. In fact, he says, they broke the mold after you were made. He said in, in verse 9, My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother. Your, when your mom gave birth to you, was perfection. That's what he's saying. This is the attitude of the man to the wife. Now in, in verse 10, the choir responds, who is this who looks down like the dawn? Now before, remember I told you, there is a comparison between the cities. Terza, Jerusalem. Now the comparison is, who looks down like the dawn? Beautiful as the moon. Bright as the sun. Awesome as an army with banners. The reference context in verse 10 would say the army with banners that they're referring to are the heavenly army. One is an earthly city, earthly army. So he's moving from the fact that she is, is beautiful and awe-inspiring, but then goes all the way to the heavens. All the way to the heavens, the description that he gives her, <clears throat> that she is absolutely incredible and awesome. Now, the woman is going to respond to the choir. And as she responds to the choir in verse 11, <coughs> she's going to discuss her own transition from girl to woman from virgin to wife this is what she's saying in 11 and 12 i went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley to see whether the vines had budded whether the pomegranates were in bloom so she's thinking back to the days when she was looking forward to her marriage now she's married marriage is consummated they're somewhere down the road in their relationship but she's thinking back and she's thinking i remember the days when i wondered what it was going to be like what it was going to be like in the garden. The garden is always a description. The lilies, the garden, the groves, it's always a description of the sexual experience before it had occurred. So she's looking back and wondering about that. And then she's saying, it's like one day I was dreaming about it. And then verse 12, before I knew what was happening, I was in his chariot. It's like I was dreaming about it and now I'm with him. Yeah, now we're driving down the road together, side by side, in our pickup truck. It's the same thing, just the language, this is what's being described. Now, in verse 12, verse 12 is incredibly difficult to translate. In verse 12, I'm going to give you the literal, the literal reading, or what I think it should go, because they, sometimes we try to translate the words and they're meant as a name. You'll see what I mean in a second, I hope. But I think what it should say at the second half of verse 12 is suddenly I am among the chariots of Ami Nadiv. Ami Nadiv. 
I think, is intended as a name, like a pet name for her husband. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm with him. So one minute I was thinking back and I was remembering, you know, looking forward to marriage. And now I'm in, I'm here with him. I'm in his chariot. Ami Nadiv means my beloved is my prince. My beloved is my prince. So I think this is what it's saying. It's like I was looking at, she's thinking about leaving girlhood, girlhood behind. And now she is his wife and how quick that seemed to happen. Now the choir responds. The choir responds. It says, return, return, O Shulamite. Return that we may look at you. So the choir is like all her girlfriends. They're, the Bible calls them the daughters of Jerusalem. And the, the girlfriends are saying to her, come back, we want you with us. We want you with us. Oh, we're thinking back to those days when we were young and you know we were playing with our dolls or we were doing all the things that, that little girls do back in the day. And now, so the, the daughters of Jerusalem are calling her back. And the husband, the prince, in the chariot, he's going to respond. Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? Hey, she, she's, she can't live in these two worlds. She left that one. And now she's with me. The Bible says that for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become what? One. So there's a concept of leaving and cleaving to who you're with now. And the point of God's word is <clears throat> that it's there's a while there may be a loss, some some sense, there's some kind of loss that occurs as we grow up and as we move into a marriage relationship. But the point is that that marriage relationship is better and it's a natural part of the transformation in life. To go from being a little kid to being a grown-up now. Anybody remember that transition when you were married? Maybe you're still in it. Right? Where we long to be a kid again. I get it. I'm not saying that. I mean, and that's what's happening here, right? She's thinking back what it was like to be a kid. But now they've moved into a new season in life, a new season. And that season includes love, marriage, children, responsibilities. And, and there's a whole new season of exciting things happening, but you have to be able to let go of the other ones. And it helps if you remember when you were in the other ones, you were looking forward to this one. It's part of the nature of man to always not want whatever season he's in at the time. Right? I, today, it happened to me. Today, I'm, I'm sweating, putting all the stuff in the trailer, getting everything ready to go camping, and I said these words, I can't wait for winter. <laughs> Boom, how long we had summer? For 15 minutes so far? We never like what we're in. If it's hot, it's too hot. If it's cold, it's too cold. We all, there's always this desire... At least with me, there's always this desire for whatever I don't have at the moment. So, <clears throat> when I get up to Pine tonight and it's 45 degrees, I'll say, oh, I, I can't wait for it to get hot tomorrow. This is the things that we do. Well, this is happening in their relationship. She's looking back. Her husband is saying, we, we can't live in those two worlds. We left one world. We, we leave and then we cleave, right? Are you guys tracking with me? So, we leave and then we cleave. 
<clears throat> so he's calling her. Uh, you have left that life. You've gone away from the, from the virgin. Now you have become the wife. And so this is the description that he gives. And then we're going to move now to the, to a song, the mutual love. It starts in chapter seven, verse one. The man is singing. The man is singing. He says, he's going to start, he's going to describe her over and over again. We're going to see the man, right? Being the mirror, describing the beauty of his wife. That's not something just to embarrass us. It's something we should practice. The man being the mirror, describing the beauty of his wife. We know from chapter 7, 1 through 8, that she is probably naked. He begins at her feet, and he's going to work his way up until he loses his focus. You guys will figure out when that is. I probably won't have to tell you. But the whole time, what is he doing? Describing how he feels about her. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, a work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks mixed wine. As he follows her, as she's standing in front of him, as he follows her body up, he is describing her beauty. Your belly, like a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Remember, every time we see that, um, wheat... Lilies, groves, garden, it's all symbolic for sexual play. He's thinking about being able to make love to her. He's looking at her. He's longing for her. In, in verse 3, he says, Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. <clears throat> then he goes on, Your neck like an ivory tower. Now, every time we talk about the towers, we, 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 we trip and so. I'm hoping I can get us past it. But the idea of the tower is he's, he's talking about her strength. They have already consummated the marriage. They have already celebrated. Now they're husband and wife. No longer a, a virgin woman and a virgin man thinking about all the things that this next part of their life has in it. Now they've stepped into that and they're celebrating what they have in that part of their life. And as they're celebrating that and as they're still... Uh, um, walking in it, he's telling her, you're not bowed over. Your neck is like a tower. You don't have to bow before me. The Bible talks about a, a woman being in a, in a position where, where she is in submission to her husband, but it's not a concept that is the, that carries the idea of being bowed over, walked over, Song of Solomon describes her as having strength and dignity. That's the point of the tower. You are strong. He, he is respecting her even as he longs for her. <clears throat> he is losing himself in her. He says in the next, in the next portion, your eyes are like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabim. Your eyes, I'm lost in their depth. I look in your eyes and I get lost. This is what he's saying. Then he says, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. And we lose him again. It has nothing to do with the size of her nose. Again, he's talking about her dignity and strength. He's, he's come up, he looks at her, and he says, your head crowned like, uh, is crowned with Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is beautiful. 
beautiful mountain to behold. So he's saying your head is like, it's like a crown, like, like Mount Carmel. It's beautiful. Your flowing locks, your hair is like the purple that a king wears. Again, honor, respect is, is being shown even as he is uh, in love with her. A king is held captive in your tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Man, he's enraptured by her and he's not afraid to tell her. This is a part of their communication as a husband and wife. That what is it what is it like? Where where in our relationship is the freedom to be able to talk as openly as the Song of Songs is talking? What, what happens when that's experienced with a husband and wife? What happens if a husband and wife's marriage is built on and designed by God and lived out the way God intended it to live? Is it not a totally satisfying place? And as you celebrate that relationship, then it would be uncommon for us to say to someone, oh, it's, I haven't been married all that long, you know, I'm, I'm on my fourth or fifth or sixth try. But as it, I shared with you guys, we were over at uh, Meridian when, when we bought the Harley. We are over at uh, Meridian Harley-Davidson, and one of the gals there asked us how long we've been married, and we said 32 years, and... She was blown away. And one of the things I love about church is you meet people that have been married 40, 45, 47, 50, 60, 60 plus. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be the other way. It's supposed to have longevity because it's something that we say, well, this, I'm going to do this God's way. We say, well, what do I do now? Maybe I'm, I'm on round two or round three or round four or round six. doesn't matter. At some point, we have to decide, you know what? I've, I've done this my way. What happens if I just surrender it and start to do it God's way? What if I look at what God's word says and I say, this is how I'm supposed to talk to my wife. How, how does my life change if I do that? Or if I look at this and say, this is how I'm supposed to talk to my husband. How does my life change? We come up with a lot of excuses of why we don't have to be obedient. Why we don't have to follow what God's word lays out. But all the while we're, we're wrecking, wreaking havoc in our life, right? We have all this chaos coming and, we, and then we say, well, I keep trying it God's way, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I've, everybody who uses those words, I have yet to sit down with one of them who's actually doing it. They say it, but saying it is not doing it, right? You guys understand that? You can say I'm doing it God's way. That's not the same thing as doing it God's way. You got the easy part over with. Now, <clears throat> let's, get to, let's get down to doing it. So he's enraptured by her beauty. He has gone from her feet to the top of her head. Then he's going to go back to where he was stuck, right? What's he say? Oh, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples. Apples is always referred to in love poetry 
as a, an aphrodisiac. The idea is he wants to lie with her. He's enraptured by her. He wants to make love to her, and he wants her to know that he does. But he's not making demands. He's describing her beauty and wooing. He's calling out to her. He wants her to know that that uh, that he longs for her. In fact, he goes on in verse nine. There's going to be, beginning in verse nine, there's going to be a. Uh, uh, responsive singing like one line's him the next line's her the next line's him the next line's her you guys with me so he's going to say in your mouth like the best wine and then she responds it goes down smoothly for my beloved and then he responds it glides over lips and teeth and then she responds I am my beloved and his desire is for me he wants me This is the way that they speak. This is the way that they're talking to one another. This is the way that they're expressing. And so when we look at it, you know, if if we can understand and comprehend the parts and put it all together, it's beautiful. It's beautiful how loving it is. How gentle, how kind. It's magnificent. And it, it is supposed to be a poetic picture of what love and marriage is. So if it's not like that, then maybe we're not following the precepts God's given us. Maybe we're missing some of the some of the finer points. Maybe we're we're losing touch with God's plan in regard to it. And if we can, if we're willing, we can allow God to do, to bless and to move. Now, <clears throat> the wife is going to take over from 7, uh, verse 11, all the way to 8, verse 4. She says, Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields. Lodge in the villages. Now remember, lyrical poem. Lyrical poem is not complicated. She means what you think she means. She just said, my beloved, I, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. She knows that he wants her and so she says, let's go to the field. What does that mean? It means what it, you think it means. She's inviting him to her bed. She's inviting him to make love. And every time when it talks about fields, vineyards, groves, gardens, that's what they're talking about. Lilies, flowers, all of that stuff is a reference to the beauty of their lovemaking. He says, Come to the fields, lodge in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. And there I will give you my love. Isn't that what she's saying? She's saying, Come. Come along. There's this beautiful... uh, symmetry in this song of songs as they're singing and expressing their love for one another in verse 13 she references the mandrakes now we've read about mandrakes and we studied the bible in genesis well leah you remember leah her son had gone out and picked mandrakes and uh, rachel wanted the mandrakes it was believed that mandrakes were fertility they would cause fertility everybody wanted to be able to have a child, and so Rachel had none, so she wanted Leah's mandrakes. 
give me your mandrakes. And Leah's like, it's not enough that our husband loves you more than me. You want my mandrakes too? If you remember, Leah had most of the kids. Rachel hadn't had any yet. So she trades a night with her husband for the mandrakes. So the, you have this idea, right, of the mandrakes. When we look at the mandrakes here, it's, a, it's the same kind of an idea. Still talking about that. The desire in marriage <laughs> was that marriage would be fruitful, that life would come. Have you ever wondered why the Bible... There's several different pictures, I think, for reasons why the Bible teaches us that, that homosexuality is a sin. But one of the main issues with homosexuality is that there's no life from the union. The concept in the Bible is that there would be life, right? Over and over again, when we read the book of Proverbs, what was the point of Proverbs? To walk the path of what? Life. The path of death was what? That's the wrong way. We want the path of life. The concepts that they're <clears throat> laying out as we go through the word, pointing in this way. So the idea, even here, <clears throat> is that there would be fruit from their union. That they would have children. That they would have a family. That they would go on. In fact, listen to how she's going to describe it. The mandrakes give forth fragrance. Beside our doors are all choice fruits. The idea of fruitfulness within their marriage. New as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. And remember, <laughs> there's two references at least throughout the poem where he calls her his sister and she calls him her brother. And the concept of that is, goes back to Genesis. What part of Genesis? When Adam said of Eve, she is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are one. One of the relationships that they can point to to describe that is as brother or sister. It's not intended to be weird. It's intended to show oneness, being united of one body. And so she says, oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. She's calling him unto her. If I open or if I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. Now remember, <laughs> this is one of the relationships in the poem that describes her moving from the virgin bride to a mother. So when you move from a virgin bride to a mother, you would take your husband to your mother's room. What room was that? The womb where life grows within your body. So what she's describing, she's saying, I'm going to take you to the house of my mother. She's saying, we're going to have kids. I'm moving now. I'm, I'm no longer that, that virgin, uh, a woman who is longing for marriage. Now I'm a wife and I'm a longing for life in me. For there to be children in our relationship. So I'm going to bring you to the house of my mother. She who used to teach me. I'm going to become like her. She taught me what it was like. To be a mother, to be a wife, to grow up. And now I'm stepping into that role. Uh, she says, I would give you spiced wine to drink and the juice of my pomegranate. And then she describes him. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. 
And then she uses a phrase that we've seen three other times. We'll see one more at least. Where she looks at the choir of all the other girls that are waiting for their day. And she says to them, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So, again, we have the Song of Songs moving. So, we began looking forward to the wedding, the wedding, consummation of the wedding. Now we're moving into their life together as husband and wife, celebrating their love for one another and looking forward to family. And we have four more chapters as we work our way through the Song of Songs to get to see this celebration of a lifetime intended to be together. The celebration of love that can be in the confines of marriage the way God wants it to be. The thing that was always hopeful to me in my marriage is to understand if this is a picture of what God wants it to look like, then all I have to do is get with the program, right? All I have to do is submit myself to what God already wants to accomplish in my life, in my marriage. I just have to, I just have to say, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You're going to lead me right through this. So that this can be, this beauty, this, this uh, incredible relationship, that's how it's supposed to be. And it can be. It's not an impossible dream. But it, it requires the leading of the Lord. It's His way to get to paradise. His way to get to paradise in marriage. His way to get to paradise with Him forever. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for an opportunity as we continue this study, Lord. We are... We are uh, uh, just in awe, God, of the beauty <coughs> of a marriage relationship. And I, I'm struck by the, the contrast between how the world sees love and marriage and then how you see it. And I, and I can see the beauty. And I, God, I just wish that, uh, that the world could really see that this could be modeled the church shouldn't look like the world to the world. The church should look like how you describe it. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us want to walk in it. Help us want to experience what you have for us, Lord God. Help us come and look and say, I want to comprehend and understand the depths of the relationships that you call me to, God. Because life is more than just the things we, we, we consider spiritual. There's so much more in life that God wants us to experience in Him. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes and help us see. Open our hearts, God, to be willing to walk and obey the direction that you're calling us. And Lord, be glorified as we live our lives out before you. God, we ask your blessing. Uh, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.